Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Tuesday, November 22nd. We're taking Thanksgiving off, so you get to hear us today as you travel to your mom's house, your grandma's house for the long weekend. But it's a topic you probably don't want to listen to while you're eating. That is, unless you're getting together with a lot of epidemiologists. We're talking about hospital infections. The CDC just came out with its annual report on hospital infections, and things aren't looking good. Yuck. As you know, the CDC tracks and reports six different types of infections that patients can get while they're in the hospital. Before the pandemic, hospital infection rates were trending downwards. But in 2020, the first year of the pandemic, the rates for four of the six types of infections went up. Two went down. In 2021, according to the new report, the rates for four of the six went up again. One went down and one stayed the same. So rather than returning to pre-pandemic levels, things got even worse. To help explain what's going on, we're going to rebroadcast our podcast from September 17th of last year when we talked about this very topic. But before we do, I want to thank the sponsor of the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Infor. By connecting the business and mission sides of healthcare, institutions can enhance staff experience and simplify patient interactions. With data-driven insights and greater operational control, our sponsor, Infor, supports your company in making healthcare a calling again for your staff. Now, please enjoy the rebroadcast of our September 17th, 2021 podcast, Public Health Reporting and Hospital Infections in the Pandemic Age. Today, we're going to talk about hospitals' ability to report public health data and hospitals' ability to prevent infections. To draft hospitals' performance improvement plan today are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Now, before we talk about public health reporting and infection control, let's talk about your own COVID-19 vaccination records. Dave, you've been vaccinated, and I know you're jonesing for a booster like all of us. Where do you keep your vaccination records, and how portable are they? My vaccine, Jones. I haven't thought about it that way, but you got it right. Well, you know, Dave, all of us are attending the HLTH Health Conference next month in Boston. At least that's the current plan. And health is requiring all attendees to carry their COVID vaccination history on an app called CLEAR, C-L-E-A-R, CLEAR. So that's what I've done. The CLEAR app is free, has layers of security and impressive facial recognition technology. So given all that, I'd say my Vax records are very portable. Sounds great. Thanks, Dave. Julie, same thing. How do you prove that you've been vaccinated against COVID and how are those records kept? Well, I have a vaccination card that I have taken multiple pictures of and have stored in a couple places in case my old brain doesn't remember where I have it. And I keep it in a very safe place in my bedside table, the actual card itself. But I was thrilled to see that Clear has this technology or this capability. And to be honest, it makes so much sense, given what we've talked about on the show a couple weeks ago about how an increasing number of Americans trust biometrics to keep their health data safe. And what better brand than Clear to hold your health data? Sounds good. I'm going to have to download that. 
I don't have a vaccination card, but I'm sure I could buy one online, right? My vaccination records are on my patient portal with my physician's office, so they exist electronically. I'm not sure who has access to them. I have printed them out to take with me on travel in case the portal goes down or I switch doctors. You never know. So this app sounds like a great idea. Okay, that's a good segue into our first topic today, and that's the ability of hospitals to share data with public health agencies. A new report from HHS's Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, or ONC, said hospitals aren't that good at it. ONC said half of all hospitals in 2019, obviously before the pandemic, lack the capacity to electronically exchange information with public health agencies. And more than 70% of all hospitals had challenges related to public health reporting. Those challenges included not knowing where to send the information, not having the resources to exchange information, and various and sundry technical issues. Dave, what does that tell you about hospitals' commitment to interoperability, and how did that affect the healthcare system's ability to fight the COVID outbreak in 2020? You really know how to push my buttons, man. <laughs> Public health runs on data that is timely, comprehensive, accurate, and understandable. The ONC report gives us a snapshot of hospitals' collective ability to share public health data on the eve of the pandemic. When half the hospitals lack the capacity to electronically exchange data and 70% had one or more challenges in transmitting data, we must conclude that our public health agencies were largely running blind as the nation geared up to address its biggest public health challenge in over a century. This lack of health data interoperability goes a long way toward explaining why the U.S. was so ineffective in initially combating the pandemic. Remember the supply chain shortages, ventilators, masks, oxygen, cotton swabs, PPE. Also remember how difficult it was for public health agencies to track disease progression and allocate resources. How many people needlessly died from COVID because the nation's healthcare system did not have the data it needed to respond effectively in real time? We'll never really know. This is 2021. We certainly have the capability to capture, translate, analyze, and apply knowledge from massive data sets. The fact that hospitals haven't been up to the task of capturing and sharing vital public health data is a catastrophic industry failure. This failure is not surprising given how hard it is generally to acquire basic information about healthcare outcomes, prices, and medical errors. But the fact that it happens all the time makes it no less shameful. This data interoperability failure speaks to hospitals' misplaced priorities, lack of accountability, and disconnection from the very people they are supposed to serve. If there's a silver COVID lining, Perhaps it is that policymakers are awakening to the importance of reinvesting in the nation's public health infrastructure, particularly its data systems. To end my comments on a more positive note, the public reporting today on COVID disease spread, hospitalization, deaths, and vaccinations is light years better than it was at the beginning of the pandemic. When it comes to capturing and transmitting vital public health data, the healthcare industry can do what it chooses to do, and it clearly needs to do better. Thanks, Dave. Julie, what are your takeaways from the ONC report? What improvements in public health reporting have you seen since? 
And are we better prepared for the next pandemic? I think we have a vision and a goal definition problem. And I'm just going to get on my soapbox for a second and raise something I've talked about before. But in 2005, I was one of hundreds of people that were called experts involved in the then called National Academies group that focused on what a learning health system looks like. And this is a big kind of hairy, audacious goal, but it looked at how we could align science, informatics, incentives, culture to enable a system that would be focused on continuous improvement and innovation for both the good of public health and for the health of each person. And it looked at goals and infrastructure needs that would enable comparative effectiveness research and address clinical complexities of what genomics was then promising and how to engage patients and the public to deepen personalization. Core metrics, (laughs) imagine that, to understand what good looks like and actually measure it and the data infrastructure and exchange needs to support all these goals, producing 15 volumes, you can go on the website and look at all of them, that are effectively like how-to guides. So why am I talking about this? Because we've totally lost our way since these volumes began to be published in 2007. We've defunded public health and we left it to the states to determine public health priorities largely leaving us little definition for our health goals as a nation, nor any kind of data infrastructure to support those. And the ONC report talks about a lot of technical issues. And God knows we had a lot of them. I mean, I think the state of California really struggled with that early on in the pandemic. But I think we're missing the point that we have to have goals to chart the right technical course. And the pandemic has brought these goals into sharp focus, thank God. Um, but now we need to find the will to collaborate to really make it happen. It's, it's a big deal. So we burn the owner's manual. Thanks, Julie. Dave, anything to add to Julie's comments? I'm reading Simon Sinek's latest book, The Infinite Game. Like all his books, this one is insightful and purposeful. In The Infinite Game, Sinek places his laser focus on companies' business orientation. Kind of get to what Julie was talking about. Most companies across all industries play a finite game characterized by artificial short-term goals, winners and losers, and self-focus. Customers are a means to achieving the company's desired ends. Companies playing the infinite game could not be more different. They're focused on long-term. There are no artificial performance metrics. Like the Athenians of old, managers strive to leave their organizations in better shape than they found them. Cynic illustrates the differences in finite and infinite managerial mindsets by describing sessions he attended at Microsoft and Apple circa 2006. All the Microsoft managers talked about was beating Apple. All the Apple managers talked about was how they could better serve their customers. Writ large, American healthcare companies have a finite managerial mindset. They're driven by artificial metrics related to volumes, revenue, scale, and profitability. What they're not driven by is the longer-term goal of making the American people healthier, happier, and more productive. During this disruptive period in the healthcare industry, we need leaders who are playing the infinite game for the good of the American society and our people. And guess what? Companies that act with that purpose will prosper for a very long, long time. That's why customers count. Thanks, Dave. 
Now let's talk about another report, this one from the CDC on healthcare-associated infections, or HAIs. The CDC said the ratio of actual to expected infections went up for four types of HAIs in the fourth quarter of last year. Central line-associated bloodstream infections, catheter-associated urinary tract infections, ventilator-associated events, and MRSA infections. Experts from the National Institutes of Health blamed COVID, saying traditional infection prevention efforts fell by the wayside as COVID patients swamped hospitals and soaked up all those infection control resources. Julie, do you agree with that? And what does it all mean for the importance of virtual care models? Well, before I go on my rant on this, I'll just say that those who have lost in this are patients, and it is a healthcare operational problem. There's just no doubt. So, you know, again, we're not setting up healthy spaces for people to achieve health. We need to think about that because there's been an enormous push around infection control over the past decade plus, which has largely been accomplished really through the effort of humans, though we've spun up a ton of infection control companies as well. And we were doing a pretty decent job and starting to see downward trends until COVID hit. And Dave, you didn't talk about many of the numbers here, but, you know, drug-resistant bloodstream infections at hospitals rose 47% in the last quarter of 2020 compared to 2019. I mean, it's amazing. And similar infections traced to ventilators rose 45%. So what's happening I definitely agree that COVID is the driver. There's no doubt. We And we lost a lot of humans. And the innovative solutions are only as good as the humans that are assigned to them. So when we have fewer humans working the floors, uh, fewer supplies all around, little, if any, effort to really segment COVID versus non-COVID patient populations, the infection control process just breaks immediately. And all patients suffer because the healthcare system is still dependent almost exclusively upon humans. So I know that we tripped over this amazing thing we call virtual care during the pandemic, which was really awesome. But we have to look at virtual care as a way to really solve part of this problem. Like it's a novel way to be thinking about seeing patients. But in this case, you could be seeing a ton of patients either exclusively virtually or in some sort of hybrid situation that would allow more segmentation of patients that would ease the ratio of humans to patients. And if we looked at humans as a big driver, that would be helpful. And also just separate the equipment that's being used on COVID versus non-COVID patients. There's a lot we could do to leverage this technology, not only as a front door, but where specialties can play a role in easing what's happening in hospitals today. So it's no surprise, but we have to think about how virtual care can be done to create healthy spaces and think about it that way and get us out of this kind of human-dependent problem we have. Got it. To err is human. Thanks, Julie. Dave, what are your insights from the CDC report? Did COVID just make an existing problem worse? And what can we do to turn things around and make care safer for patients? We know that hospitals are dangerous places. Some studies have concluded that medical errors kill as many as 250,000 Americans each year. If true, medical errors would be the third leading cause of death in the U.S. after heart disease and cancer. Whatever the number is, it has gotten worse in the last year as measured by the big spikes in hospital-acquired infections. 
The global design firm Gensler conducted patient surveys in 2020 to learn why elective surgeries didn't snap back as quickly as most industry experts expected they would. Gensler discovered that many prospective patients, despite needing care, feared going to hospitals and chose to delay or forego that necessary care. Hospitals tend to have a one-size-fits-all approach to treating patients, and that approach is based on efficiency. Gensler's insight was that hospitals that failed to account for patients' proclivities and preferences were losing potential customers. For example, if a patient needs additional comfort to receive necessary care, it would be best to figure that out pre-visit and address this patient's concerns throughout their entire care episode. To make care better and safer, as you asked, Dave, for patients begins and ends by understanding their needs and then satisfying them. Reducing hospital-acquired infections is a good place to start to kind of get back on course uh, in the way Julie described. In that regard, I was encouraged that 80 to 90% of hospitals continued to report HAI statistics after the government granted them permission to stop reporting that data during the heat of the pandemic. But hospitals need to do far more than reduce preventable infections. They truly need to embrace the mission, as the Cleveland Clinic has, of putting patients first. With that infinite game mindset, hospitals will align their operations with customer needs, wants, and desires. Everything will improve. Know your customers again. Thanks, Dave. Julie, anything to add to Dave's comments? Yeah, I would just add that there is this trend that we've talked about before around hospital at home. And there are companies like Dispatch Health, Medically Home, Contessa, all have different models, but all are enabling some sort of hospital at home service. And hospitals are actually able to deliver many hospital stays at a less expensive rate in the home. This obviously is only going to work for certain types of patients in certain situations. But it's a real thing. And what I don't love about it is how isolating it sounds. But what I do love about it is uh, how it decreases some of these situations we're talking about with infection. Hail innovation. Thanks, Julie. Hey, Dave, let me just make a quick comment on hospital at home. Julie, I'm really glad you brought that up because in one sense, it does sound isolating, but in another and very profound sense, people are in their homes, eating their own cooking, surrounded by family and friends. It can be a much more conducive healing environment. And just to make a plug for the uh, Foresight Song of the Month, it's actually called The Hospital at Home, and it's sung to the Leonard Skinner tune of Sweet Home Alabama. So look for that later. This <laughs> Sounds good, Dave. Thank you. Now, to make a long story short, I took a breathing test at a hospital recently, and right before the test started, they told me it's the same apparatus that they use with COVID patients to see how well their lungs are recovered. And I think I dodged a bullet, but how about using different machines for COVID and non-COVID patients? I, I think that would be smart. Anyway, thanks, Dave, and thank you again, Julie, and thanks to our sponsor, Infor. Infor connects the business and mission sides of healthcare, enhancing the staff experience and simplifying patient interactions with data-driven insights and greater operational control. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. 
Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. And happy Thanksgiving, everyone. We'll be back with a new podcast on December 1st. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.